Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Uh, If you're watching online, and obviously you would be, uh, some of you have it on your television. Uh, maybe you've done it through Apple TV or Roku or, or some other way. Make sure you, get, ladies, make sure you get the remote because the husbands might want to change the channel this evening. So make sure you're in control and he can't mute it or change the channel. I really do thank you for joining us. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we looked at um, the role of a spirit-filled wife Tonight, we're going to look at the role of a spirit-filled husband. And next Wednesday night, we're going to look at the, um, hus- the uh, parents and children passage of Ephesians in chapter 6. But I'd like to begin reading in verse 24, or excuse me, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for godly husbands. We know there are no perfect husbands. There are no perfect wives, no perfect marriages. But we pray that tonight you might help men to understand their responsibilities or be reminded and that you might strengthen the husband and wife relationships and even so strengthen that entire home. So Lord, as we look at your word, please help us to understand it, make it clear, help us to apply it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first institution that God established on the earth was the home. God said it is not good that man should be alone, so he created Eve a helpmeet for Adam. There's an emotional relationship that marriage fulfills. And we can also define it as a social relationship. It meets all the social needs. It it continues the race. It populates the world. And, And Adam was told, be fruitful and multiply. And that's one of the reasons for the marriage union. It's it's emotional, it's social, and thirdly, it's physical. It's the relationship that God has ordained that whereby we fulfill the natural physical desires that are given to us by God. 
the sexual urges and appetites that God has put within us and created within us, marriage is the reason, one of the reasons for that. That's, that's one of the reasons for marriage. And yet, in our day, a happy marriage doesn't come automatically. You have to work at it. One woman complained to her friend at her marriage or her marriage counselor about her husband. She said, when my husband won a trip for two to Hawaii, he went twice. Two things can cause an unhappy marriage, men and women. And when a man and woman marry, they become one and the trouble starts when they try to decide which one. The truth in matrimony, more than a henpecked husband said, he confided to one of his coworkers. He said, "Um, I've been married 17 years and I don't regret one day of it. And then he said, the day I don't regret was August 5th, 1990. Folks, there are a lot of jokes made about marriage, but really and truly it's not a joke. We we make a lot of um, comments about it, but in, in reality... It's probably the most sacred relationship we have next to our relationship with God. As children go through developmental stages, we're told by psychologists that there are different stages of marriage. Uh, Five stages. This is from the Minerth and Meyer Clinic. The first stage is young love the first two years of marriage, where couples overcome idealistic notions of marriage and begin to become one family. The next stage encompasses the third through the 10th year, and it's called realistic love. This stage is often the most dangerous in the marriage. The 11th through the 25th year is the stage called comfortable love. As one woman told me who's in this stage, it's like oatmeal. Not exactly exciting, but comfortable, warm, and satisfying. I hope your marriage is better than oatmeal. The fourth stage is renewing love. In the 26th through 35th year, it's a time of accepting some inevitable losses and having an empty nest, but it's also a time of recommitment and rediscovering each other. And lastly, It's transcendent love, the 36th year and thereafter. According to those who've made it that long, it's the best part of marriage. It's the time of achieving the oneness that Jesus talked about, that the two shall become one. But I want you to know it's the middle years of marriage that are the most crucial. Someone put it this way, in the early years, spouses want each other, and in the late years, they need each other. But it's those middle years, that second stage of realistic love that so many marriages don't survive. Researchers at Denver University looked at long-term marriage and discovered that as a trend, most marriages decrease in satisfaction the first 10 years, then they rebound and eventually far surpass the years of young love. Additionally, it's been discovered that the median duration of marriage before people divorced was six and a half years. The background for this passage is so important for you to understand. Because when Paul wrote these words, this was a new thing to the Jewish mindset of the day. Actually, under Jewish and Greek law at this time that Ephesians was written, 
A woman was the sole possession of her husband. Just as much as his house, his animals, his material things, the wife had no legal rights whatsoever. Under Jewish law, a a husband could divorce his wife for any cause, while a wife had no rights in the initiation of a divorce, except for maybe if her husband developed leprosy, she might be able to instigate instigate a divorce. In the Greek-Roman world of the Apostle Paul, the woman lived in entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, not even going to the marketplace, not even going to the grocery store. She never appeared alone under both Jewish and Greek laws and customs. All the privileges belonged to the husband and the duties belonged to the wife. I hope no one just tuned in and heard me say that. That was according to the Greek and the Roman laws. But Christians, Christianity changed all of that. Today I want to talk to husbands. I was told that husbands can be divided into three classes. The handsome, the intelligent, and the great majority. Most of us are the great majority. The average man, I'm told, is 38 around the chest, 43 around the waist, 98 around the golf course, and a nuisance around the house. As captain, a captain of one of those Florida nature cruises was describing the color changes that brown pelicans undergo. The young pelicans are all brown, he said. During courtship, the backs of their necks turn chestnut. After courtship, the chestnut turns to white, giving them an all-white head and neck. Birds call the birders or people that watch them call this postnuptial plumage. And one elderly said, "Bernie said it to her husband, who was white-haired. That's exactly what's happened to you." Guys, I want to tell you, there's none of us that are perfect, and I sure don't want you thinking I'm a perfect husband. In fact, as I was preparing this to present to you, I thought, oh, man, I'm just going to stand up here like a big hypocrite because I've still got a lot to learn myself. So none of us are perfect. None of us are the prime example, and yet there are some things that we need to look at from the Scripture. So as Christian men, husbands, what are some of the things that are supposed to be happening because this is in the passage of being filled with the Spirit, what are some of the things that are supposed to be happening in our life, especially in our marriage? The first thing is sacrificing love. Being a loving husband, the loves the husband's love is parallel or compared to the love of Christ for the church. And it says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It doesn't mean that you have the power over someone. It's the opposite of selfishness. It's selflessness. 
Now Christ was the omnipotent God in the flesh and yet he came and was crucified because of his love for the church and the the truth and the principle here of self-sacrifice is well documented in scripture. You see it all through scripture. In Matthew 20, Jesus tells his disciples, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. The Bible does not give any husband the right to abuse his leadership position. He has the responsibility of living out of love of Christ toward his wife. Sacrificial love is not giving in love. It's giving up love. Now, what I mean by that is sacrificial love is not exemplified by the man who would say, oh, I'd like to go golfing today, but my wife wants to go shopping, so I'm going to go shopping with her. That's nice, but that's giving in. Sacrificial giving kind of love is a love that's willing to go to any lengths to provide for her well-being. Obviously, there's a lot of give and take in a marriage, and we do that, but, but giving up Love means I want to put her needs and her desires and her wishes before my very own. Gosh, when we need to put our relationship with our spouse back on the top priority. Gary Smalley tells about going shopping for a blouse with his wife. He said, I wasn't shopping for a blouse. I was hunting for a blouse. I wanted to track it, shoot it, bag it, throw it in the smack of the truck and go home. Now, guys, we're like that, aren't we? We're conquest-oriented. It seems like once we conquer the courtship phase of a relationship, we think the job is over, and we get on with our relationship. At any time, we, sometimes we turn back into a frog again. I, I sometimes say that when I do weddings. You know, I mentioned last week how men are just grown-up little boys and ladies. I told you that the respect that you give your husband means so much to him because it means more to him than any, any other person that his wife would respect him and, and think he's a hero. Husbands, your wife's just a grown-up little girl. And somehow you won her heart. I don't think you just caught her in a weak moment and talked her into marrying you. You did something right. You had to do some things that we would call romantic or we would do some emotional things. We, you, you did stuff with her. You wanted to talk to her. You bought her flowers. You took her out. You did stuff with her. You won her heart. I want to tell you, your wife's a grown-up little girl. But some, for some reason, um, when men say, I do... They turn into a frog again. And you know what I'm talking about. The princess that kissed the frog and he turned into a handsome prince. Well, don't turn into that frog again. Where do you think your wife would say she falls on your priority list? Does she have to compete with your work? Does she have to fight the TV or your computer or your phone for your attention? Does she feel left out of your day and your dreams? When you were first dating, when you were first married, where was she on your priority list? Where is she now? She's probably at the top then when you were dating. You couldn't wait to talk to her. Well, we have to be reminded, don't we, to repent. 
Say, Lord, you know what? I need to put her back on the top of my priority list. The good news is, is you can do that now. You don't have to wait. But sacrificing love, that's what we're supposed to be about. The, the second thing is sanctifying love. Verse 26 says that, that he, this is talking about Jesus and the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And the word sanctify is the same idea as holy. It means to set apart. And in marriage, the husband is to set apart for the wife and the wife is to set apart for the husband. And any interference with that setting apart is sin. That relationship has priority. You're leading. Of course, the church has been set apart positionally. We're already sanctified, set apart by Christ. The church is the body of believers. We are his bride. We are his people. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. But the process of growing and moral and spiritual preparation becoming more and more like Christ until that day, the Lord's doing that through us. We're going to talk about that Sunday. It's like Esther in, ch in chapter 2, the book of Esther, verses 12 to 16. She, before she was presented to the king Ahasuerus, she underwent a one-year course of beauty treatment before she was prepared to meet her king. And the process of sanctification with Christ's church is created by the washing of water. Now that's the washing of the word. When we come and study the word, we are setting apart, maturing, growing people in the word, in the word of God. We're becoming more and more like Christ. It speaks of the word of God, simply your life being washed and cleansed when you hear the words of God. You obey them. It helps us grow. John 15, 3 now, Jesus said, now you are clean, he told the disciples, through the word which I have spoken to you. In John 17, 17, he prays to the Father for us, sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. And just as the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all guilt and sin, the consequences, the word of God cleanses us from the continual defilement of the world. It helps us head the right direction. Now, in fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And it's this cleansing influence of the word of God that is continually sanctifying us. I hope that makes sense. We're saved, forgiven, but the word of God continually sets us apart it doesn't save us, only the Jesus Christ saves us. But what helps us continue on the way for the Lord? The word of God. And in these verses, we see a special truth because the husband has the responsibility to help his wife grow personally and spiritually to be the spiritual leader. Now, some guys worry about that and say, you know what, I just don't know the Bible like the preacher does and I don't know like my teacher does and I'm not a teacher. That's not what he's saying. You don't have to be a theologian to be the spiritual leader of your home. But you should allow your wife to develop and help. Here's another way to ask it. Is my wife 
a better Christian and a better person because she's married to me. Hmm. If you say no, then you need to start working right here. Do you make it easy for her to have some time to pray or to or, or read the word or, or are you... You're the one leading her to come be a part of the body of believers called the church. Are you leading her to be under Bible studies? You see, the husband is the head, but he's not the brain. He's like a savior, not a dictator. A husband comes into a woman's world to enhance her life, not to decrease it. His role is to give himself to his wife for the sake of her growth. I want what's best for her. I want her to grow. Headship involves servanthood. You know, we, we brag about we're the head of the, head of the home. I'm going to tell you something. God's going to come to your home one day and say, I want to speak to the one I'm holding accountable for how this home has been led. Guess whose job that is? It's ours. A servanthood starts with submission, honoring and preferring your wife to lead Spiritually. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you speak with these and thous and the King James English. It means be a godly man and say, I want my family to love God. I'm going to lead them that direction. The third thing is self considering love. Verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For we're members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and so on. Guys, I got some good news for you. There's one thing that you don't have to learn, and that is loving yourself. You already got that down, don't you? So do I. We do that well. We know how to love ourselves. It's natural to be aware of how we project ourselves and appear to others. And we would never embarrass ourselves. But why do we embarrass our wives? We're supposed to love them like we love ourselves. How many times have you heard men belittle and denigrate their wives? Christian husbands should never be guilty of this. The word nourishes and cherishes in verse 29 gives us more light. These words mean to build up, to strengthen, to tenderly care for. It's like a golden rule for marriage. Do unto your wife as you would do unto yourself. And as the church and Christ are one, so the husband and wife are one. Imagine how many marriages would improve if a man attempted to know his wife as well as he knew his own body and to treat her as with, with much care as he did with his own body. We have guys that spend all this time working out, and there's nothing wrong with working out and exercising, but what if you spend as much time trying to treat your wife in the right way as you did treating your own body? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Lord. There's a book out many years ago called His Needs and Her Needs, and Willard, Willard Harley lists five needs of a woman. They are affection, conversation, honesty, financial support, and family commitment. Affection, conversation, honesty and openness, financial support, and family commitment. I want to cover those quickly. The first one is affection. 
To a woman, affection represents security and protection and comfort and approval. It's the essential cement of the relationship. Can you imagine building a house with bricks and not putting any mortar in it? Wouldn't hold together. Affection is the cement to her. It says you're important to me and I don't want anything to happen to you. I'm concerned about the problems you face. I'm with you. I think you've done a good job. I'm so proud of you. Show affection with your words. When's the last time you praised her for anything? It may be her physical appearance or her character or her personality. She's done something right. (laughs) Well, my wife just doesn't have good judgment. Some people say, well, look who she married. That speaks of her judgment, doesn't it? Listen, Song Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, talks about praising your wife. Showing affection. One man was an avid basketball fan. When he was sitting at home, he was sitting there watching sports. At one point, his wife snuggled up close to him and said, do you love me more than basketball? And he said, college or NBA? That was a wrong answer. You know, most men in the area of affection are just dummies. I am one. I'm going to talk about us. The man asked, asked you mustn't, you got to ask her. You know, we're not, I tell, I tell Laura sometimes that, you know what, there's some things I'm just too dumb to know. What do you interpret as affection? I want to know. And you need to ask your wife that. Some might say hugs or cards or notes or flowers or opening the door, holding hands, walks, back rubs, phone calls, some kind of physical touch of a non-sexual nature. I don't know. Your wife is a unique creation of God. But if you don't know, ask her. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she'll tell you. But knowledge isn't enough. You've got to do it. And do it often enough that it becomes a habit. Write it down. At first, it may feel forced and unnatural, but eventually, it will become spontaneous and natural. And men, this affection has no direct connection to sex. It's affection for its own sake. Not affection with something else on your mind. Now, affection can create an environment in which sexual fulfillment can flourish, but for husbands, it's difficult to feel and show affection without sex, and for women, it's difficult to participate fully in sex without an environment of affection. She needs to feel an emotional oneness with you before she can enjoy the physical oneness with you. You you can't have one without the other. And the only way to end this cycle is for one or both of you to break it. Men, imagine how much you desire sex. Well, that's how much your wife desires affection. And women, vice versa. Just like you desire affection, your husband 
desires the physical part. It's hard to believe. that it's, it's difficult for most men to understand their wife's deep need for affection just as it's difficult for most wives to understand their husband's deep need for sex because it's much more than physical for the man. Women not only like to be loved, but they also like to be told they're loved. Tell her when she looks especially nice to you. Compliment her. Someone put it this way, the biggest surprise the average husband can give to his wife on their anniversary is to remember it. Second thing is conversation. Proverbs 16, 24 says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. James 1, 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Proverbs 18, 13, he who answers before listening... He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. You see, the average couple spends 37 minutes a week in conversation. (laughs) 37 minutes a week in conversation. Is it any wonder then when children grow up and leave the nest that divorce often follows because these people don't know each other? A common complaint from women is that their husbands don't listen to them and don't understand them. Men, on the other hand, are bewildered and say, I do listen to her. Now, what's happening typically is that the woman wants to talk to about a problem and share how she's feeling about it. The man wants to get out of a problem and solve it. We want to fix it. Sometimes your wife doesn't want you to fix it. Just listen. I... I'm so dumb. Sometimes I'll, when, when I'm listening, I, I'll say, I haven't done it very often, but I have said, am, am I solving a problem here or am I just listening? <laughs> I told you we're dummies in this area. It can go like this. You're lying in bed and your wife says to you, I had a terrible day at work. And you say, well, why don't you quit? <laughs> she says, I don't want to quit. I was just trying to tell you I had a hard day. And then the man says, well, if you didn't want my opinion, why'd you ask for it? And she says, forget it. Just forget I said anything. And he says, I will. If I could give us all a one piece of conversational advice, men, it is for the next month, don't try to solve any of your wife's problems unless she specifically asks for it. Instead, just listen to her. Validate her. Let her know that you understand it. And I want to tell you, you cannot listen to her with that cell phone in your hand or the TV on. Look her in the eye and listen. You've got a one-track mind. Men, we, we can't do two things at once. We can't listen to two conversations at once. You can't watch anything, read anything, look at anything, with, and listen to your wife at the same time. Look her in the eye and listen to her. She could probably solve it herself. But you know what? She wants somebody else to hear her. You remember the things you did at first? You remember just letting her talk and letting her cry on your shoulder? You could do that because she felt she was in a safe place. That's the place she still needs, no matter how long you've been married. Conversation. Third thing is honesty and openness. 
First Peter 3, 7, you husbands, likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. Man, your, your wife has the right to know everything's going on in your life. Everything. Everything. Let me ask you this, guys. Could you name three things that your wife enjoys the most? Can you imagine how many marriages would work if men tried to know their wives as well as they know their own bodies? Does your spouse know you better than anyone else? There, there are three kinds of lying husbands. The born liar will continue to lie about inconsequential matters. There's the avoid trouble liar, who only lies when there's a pressure or significant problem. And there's the protector liar, believes the truth would be too much for his wife. And we've all got our faults, but our wives need to know openly and honestly about us. The fourth thing is financial support. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I would like to spend about three days right here, but I'm not. Men, it's your job to provide Now, listen to me. I understand disabilities. I understand there are exceptions, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But some guys, they're just sorry. (laughs) How's that for being blunt? They just are. They're just sorry. They're going to let their wife do everything, make the living do everything. Your wife, I'm going to stop there. I don't mean to belittle anybody if you're doing the best you can, but you ought to be out there doing the best you can. You know what I'm talking about. For my, I, I, occasionally, I, I tell you, I, occasionally we get people that uh, need help financially. We get a lot of that, actually. If, now, this is my personal f- feelings, but it really aggravates me when a man sends his wife in to get the help. I understand people needing help. I'm not belittling that at all. But men, you ought to be man enough to walk in and say, my family needs some help. You take that responsibility. Don't send your wife in. The last is family commitment. Be committed to your family. Those are the things that Willard Harvey mentioned in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, for the women's side. The men's are good too. There's a fourth thing in this passage I want you to see in verse 31. It's steadfast love. This reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be glued to is what it means. Cleave unto his wife. It's permanent. You know, I... I really have a hard time understanding. I, 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 I just can't understand. I'm not, I'm not belittling. I just can't understand why people don't make a commitment of marriage. 
when they just live together. They don't get married, they just move in together. You're supposed to make a commitment of your life. Steadfast love. It's permanent. You go into it with the idea till death do us part. I'm not belittling people who've been through divorce. But from now on, it ought to be, you know what? I don't want to do that again. I am committed to this. Men, you need to go home. You need to be committed to your wife and have a steadfast love. And whatever excuse you're using, you need to be, you need to be committed to her. And then in verse 32 and 33, it talks about a sacred love, a life-honoring love. Nevertheless, verse 33, nevertheless is an intended, it ends this emphasis Remember this, you in particular love your own wife as yourself. How can you do that? First of all, you can be considerate. Treat her like she's a sister in Christ. Treat her like a lady. Be sensitive to her needs. (laughs) I read of a, a tornado that hit in Kansas and it, it actually picked the bed up that a husband and wife were asleep in and, and took it through the air and set it down out in the pasture. Man and woman were not hurt. And when that, where they got to where they could hear, the wife was just weeping quietly and her husband said, don't be scared. And she said, I'm not scared. I'm just so happy. This is the first time we've been out in 25 years together. <laughs> Take her out. I hear over and over that husbands do not understand them and are not sensitive to their feelings and their needs and do not communicate. One woman said her husband spoke three languages, golf, football, and baseball. The second thing is chivalry. (laughs) One lady told her neighbor, my husband's a do-it-yourself man. Whenever I ask him to do something, he says, do it yourself. Where have the, where has the politeness gone that reflects your attitude toward your wife? Hmm. You ever thought about that? Your attitude shows out in public towards your wife. They're the weaker vessel. Nothing, no criticism intended. But aren't we supposed to be gentlemen? <laughs> you may have heard about a new bride. They, this couple just got married, and, and of course, they're on their honeymoon. And you, if those of you who've been married, you know it's a little awkward when you first get married and you, you go check into a hotel that first night or wherever you're going to stay the first night. So when she and her husband pulled up to the hotel, she said, is there any way that we can appear that we're not newly married? It's just kind of, you know, it's a little awkward, a little embarrassing. And he said, well, yeah, you just carry your own suitcase. They'll never know. When's the last time you opened the door for your wife or carried things for her or helped her? It's time to repent, isn't it, guys? Where's all the chivalry gone? 
And last of all, companionship. Husbands and wives should be the best of friends. Husband who's not considerate of his wife and who does not honor and respect her has got something wrong spiritually in his life. First Peter 3 says, your prayers will be hindered. Did you know that if you don't have the right relationship with your wife, it affects your prayer life? It does. It does. If you are at odds or you and your wife have had a a disagreement, not a fight, but a disagreement. You're a little irritated toward one another. Try to pray. It just doesn't work. So guys, what do you do? Well, first of all, I want you to thank the Lord that your wife is still with you. <laughs> if you're like me, I'm going, why is she still with me? Because I don't measure up to a lot of this. Shows you how patient they are. I guess God put an extra dose of patience in them <laughs> when he created Eve. He created Adam and he, Adam was alone. He said, well, that's not good, but let me tell you, I'm going to create one that's going to have to have an immeasurable amount of patience for this guy. Thank the Lord for your wife. And... You may need to tell her you're sorry. I'm sorry I haven't been fulfilling my role. I'm sorry I haven't shown you the affection that I should be showing. I'm sorry that I haven't treated you like the princess I think you are. I'm going to tell you something. You don't fall out of love with your wife. And wives, you don't fall out of love with your husbands. You quit investing in them. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasure is where your investment is. And when you start investing a little bit back into your spouse, guess what? Your heart's going to go right there. There are no perfect husbands. There are no perfect wives. Just forgiven and still working at it. The good news is you still got time to work on it. My wife and I will have been married 42 years in a couple of months, and it just gets better and better. She's doing much better than I'm doing at it. <laughs> but it just gets better and better. So I challenge you guys, it's not too late. Start. I'm not trying to make you feel like doormats today. It's just, we got to improve. So let's pray together and then I want to tell you a couple of things. Lord, I thank you for the men that endured this whole message. It's very convicting. And so I join with my brothers in Christ confessing to you that we have a lot to learn and a lot to do and a lot of improvements to make. So God, please forgive us for not fulfilling our leadership roles Help us to love our wives, consider them, and to honor them. And thank you for our wives. I thank you for Christian husbands. Lord, I pray that the wives would understand that what a treasure they have is somebody who loves Jesus, 
So I pray that the relationships between the husbands and wives would continue to grow. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening.